This morning is going to be quite a bit different than maybe anything that you have experienced in church. And there are some things that I need to share with you as we prepare for our quarterly business meeting. And uh, I would like to ask you all and myself that whatever happens this afternoon, whatever decisions are made uh, on the part of Yellowstone Baptist Church, that we will be united, um, that we will walk forward in a path that God wants us to walk forward. It's not easy walking the Christian life. And a lot of times it would be so much easier to walk in a way that simply says, well, everybody else is doing it, so we'll do it as well. I don't know about you, but my parents were concerned for me and my brothers and sisters when we were growing up. And there were times when we would go up and we would ask them either for something or to do something. And we would say as young people or as teenagers, well, everybody's doing it. And the response was, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you follow? See, my mom still remembers. I mean, after six kids, she had to say that more than once. And unfortunately, within evangelicalism, within even our circles as Baptist churches, there are times when there are people that are just willingly, willfully, in contradiction to the Word of God and in violation of God's standards that are not just walking off of cliffs, they're running off of cliffs. We find ourselves at a crossroads, and if you have uh, done any driving whatsoever, you will know that you come to a crossroads, you have to make a decision. You have to turn left, you have to turn right, or you have to walk straight ahead. You see, the old adage that every you take the high road and I'll take the low road, and... Yeah, we'll all, well, well, I don't know about Scotland, but we'll all be, we'll all arrive at the same place. And the problem is that's not biblical. We can't take a high road, we can't take a low road, or some take a low road, some take a high road, and find ourselves obeying God. Because obedience is difficult. The Lord has blessed Yellowstone Baptist Church. And from the time we look at the history of Yellowstone from, I believe it was around 1992 when this church started as uh, part of the Southern Baptist Mission Network and it started as Northwest Community Baptist Church, there were, or whatever the name was, and then it became Northwest Community Baptist and then at some point it became Yellowstone Baptist Church. There are many events that have taken place and we are not the same world that we were 30 years ago. Unfortunately, anytime in a denomination you find a denomination that openly violates God's standards, you will have a denomination or a church or a group of people that ultimately will accept whatever the world throws at you as being acceptable. For example, when churches like the United Methodist Church, several factions within the Presbyterian Church, began to accept women ministers and women pastors in their pulpits, guess what followed right after that? The acceptance of the LGBTQ community. We found some interesting uh, information last night. I have shared with some of you that when I pastored in California, 
that um, the thing really that took us away from that church, um, and I use the term church loosely, was when they decided to vote 70% in favor of the LGBTQ agenda. Since then, we found out just last night that there are at least three, maybe four of the elders who were in that church who stood against me and stood against God's word that have been taken into eternity. Some of them not very old. You see, when we violate God's standard, there is a reckoning. And as the Bible says in 1 Peter, judgment must first begin at the house of God. Now, we do not hate those who have or live an alternative lifestyle or live in a style even that is a contradiction to God's word because we are called to love the world. We are called to reach them, to share the good news of Jesus Christ that he can and comes into the world for one purpose and that is to save sinners. As Paul himself said in Timothy, I count myself as chief of sinners. And when we look at our own lives as sinful and realize it is only because of the grace of God that takes us, makes us a brand new creation, and then turns our lives around so that we begin to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, there are things that must be changed. There must be things that look different. In our study in Revelation, we have repeatedly asked the question, is he worthy? And that's what we ask again today. Is he worthy? Is Jesus Christ worthy of all of our praise, of all of the honor, of all of the glory, of all of the excellence in all of the world, in all of creation? And the only answer is yes. We certainly are not worthy. God in his love and his great mercy looked down through time, set his love upon us and said, you will be my children. What a great miracle of salvation that he would come to Mark Escalera or that he would come to you, that he would extend that salvation to you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Is he worthy? Oh, yes, he is. When we speak of revival, what comes to your mind? Is it that he alone is worthy or do we merely give excuses for the sin that we have in our lives? We have talked about this before. We're, we're getting ready to, uh, to have our quarterly business meeting this afternoon and there are going to be some points that are raised in a direction that I believe that we need to move forward biblically as a church, but there may be some opposition. They are not the enemy. We are not enemies with one another. The enemy is Jesus, or the enemy is the evil one. But when we're talking about revival, we can give excuses or we can stand as Brother Diego did this morning. And so graciously, that takes humility to be able to do that, to be willing to stand up and say, I have been wrong. If revival is to come, dear brothers and sisters, this morning, we must be prepared to seek forgiveness from God and from others where we have wronged them. We have shared this illustration with some of you before, I believe in a Sunday school class a few months ago. And when, when we as a people or we as a church, here's normally what happens. Because we have, been, uh, we have been climatized by this world to accept that whatever floats your boat will work. Whatever makes you happy, do it. But is that really God's standard? No, it is not. 
When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we mentioned yesterday, I was speaking with somebody and we were talking about the word metamorphosis or metaneo, which is to change, which is to completely go from one direction to the other. So if you can imagine, we find ourselves and we are walking towards the world. We are in love with the world. And then at some point, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, sets his love upon us. He gives us a repentant heart and he turns us around and he walks us to the cross. That's a great start, but that's not where the scriptures end. We find something called progressive sanctification. That's a very long phrase and it simply means becoming more like Jesus Christ each and every day. So as we're walking towards the cross and we keep our eyes focused on him, what ends up happening is there are times when something maybe off to the side catches our vision. And instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to look and then we begin to turn a little bit more and and, and maybe we'll look at the things of the world and the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin and we'll come to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we'll say, oh, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I have not lived the way that you want me to live. And so then we turn back and we face the cross again and we experience joy and true happiness in our life. That's wonderful. But here's the problem we soon become like Lot's wife because we deal with the flesh. And as we become like Lot's wife, we, st- we turn and we want to still keep our eyes back there on Sodom and Gomorrah. We want to see what they have to offer. And as the world gets further and further away from God, as it becomes worse and worse, if you think that the world is getting better, you live in a bubble. The world is not getting better. It's getting worse because God's word tells us that it's going to get worse before he returns. And as the world gets farther and farther away from God and the the separation, the gap between the holiness of God and the total depravity of the world, we find that the world is getting further and further away and instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, instead of keeping our eyes on the cross, we look back and we say, well, I'm not any closer to the world. I'm not any closer to the world. Not any closer to the world. The world is still out there. The world's still a very long ways away. And what we have forgotten to do is to look back to the cross and find that we can barely see it in the distance anymore. This is why revival doesn't come to our hearts and to our lives because we're so focused on staying just the right amount away from the world that we forget how far we've wandered from Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, there are a few things that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, first and foremost, we must remember that we are people of the book. This is the standard. Not creeds, not traditions, not denominations, not church constitutions, not church bylaws. This is the standard. Everything else is man-made. And if the God's word is the standard, then we will ask ourselves when we read verses like Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, or forever, O Yahweh, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God's word is the standard? Second Peter chapter one, verse three says that the scriptures are good for all that pertains to life and godliness. In June, three of us, 
were nominated as delegates or as messengers to go to Anaheim, California to be at the Southern Baptist Annual Southern Baptist Convention. And we are going to go over our reports this afternoon or in the, this evening when we have our meeting, but I want you to know something first and foremost as your pastor. What I saw in that convention was the most disgraceful, ungodly, unchristlike event that I had ever been at in my life that called itself Christian. God's word was violated in so many ways. There were, there were things that took place at that convention that honestly were appalling. The politics that were in place, we realized very quickly, the men who went, we realized very quickly that people can say that they're a people of the book, but they were not a people of the book, many. For those of you who do not know the name, you'll just bear with me, but there was a time on the floor when Mr. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in California was allowed to stand to his feet and took almost seven minutes patting himself on the back. I'm surprised he didn't break his arm. And as he patted himself on the back, all the focus was on Rick Warren instead of on Jesus Christ. And here's what happens in churches. When we begin to get fixated on man-made entities, when we begin to get fixated on hero worship instead of on God worship, everything is going to begin to fall apart. Now, if you remember the illustration that I used at the beginning of the message... In regards to if everybody walked off a cliff, would we walk off too? And the answer is no, we cannot walk off a cliff. In the last year now, there have been over 8,000 churches that have left the Southern Baptist denomination because of the violation of God's standards. That doesn't mean that there was not something that was good at some point that was done. Because there has been. There have been people who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been people who have gone as missionaries to foreign lands. And I believe that there are still people who are trying to stay within the circles and do what is right. But the problem is that we can't be, we can't have our cake and eat it as well. Psalm 119 verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. That is the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Is God's word the rule of law for us every single day? Not just on Sunday morning, but every day that we live. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, Peter writes, But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the good news? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the hymns that was sung at the convention was, well, it was the song that we just sung, At the Cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away and it was changed. The words were changed so that people could feel good about themselves and it didn't address sin. It said the mistakes of our past are now gone. My friends, if, if you think sin and inequity and the weakness of your heart is, is, is nothing more than a mistake, you don't understand the cross or the message of salvation. 
Again, being people of the book, this means that our only standard must be the Bible. If there is something that does not line up with the Word of God, what do we do? We have to leave it behind. Now, I want to make sure that you understand. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are not aware, the business meetings that we have here at Yellowstone, they are open to anybody to come to observe what's going on. We welcome you to, to, to do that. But one of the things that we did when we came, when you called me as the pastor, was to promise you that as long as a group or an entity or whatever follows the word of God and follows Christ, we therefore will follow and will encourage you to do the same. But there has come a time. That time is now. When entities are not following the Lord Jesus Christ, where they are making up their own rules, we went with the understanding that, that we were hoping that there was going to be change. And instead of getting change, we found that one of the things that we will address this afternoon is that there is now going to be a task force to try to determine what the word pastor means because the Southern Baptist Convention is going to end up voting whether women can be pastors in churches. This denomination is going the exact same way that every other liberal denomination has gone, sadly. This is what happens, this is what has happened down through church history. We mentioned this last week and we talked about what has happened through the number of uh, denominations and sects and cults that have arisen mainly in the mid-1800s and it comes because people fail to pick up the word of God and say, God, what does your word have to say about this? Instead, we've got people who, pastors who are standing on platforms and falling to their knees in front of their congregation and in front of TV cameras and apologizing that God made them white. That is a shame. When we begin to question the culture, we begin to view God's word through the perspective of culture instead of viewing culture through the word of God. We are violating God's standards. Our focus, if we are going to be blessed by God, if we're going to see revival, must be on where we are at right now, not what has taken place in the past, but where we are now and where God would have us in the future. This brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing here and he says, and this is where we find the, the, the text this morning or the title of the message is a peculiar people. We are a chosen race. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied unto you. We are a chosen race. We are not chosen to be of the world. We are chosen to still remain in the world and to be a testimony. But we are chosen to be somebody that is different. Again, just because everybody does it doesn't make it right. 
We have talked about this before. You all know where I stand in regards to where the Bible stands, more importantly, on the LGBTQ issue. It doesn't matter whether every state in the union, it doesn't matter whether all 197 countries pass laws that find that acceptable. It will still be an abomination to God. God's word is clear on the order of the church or what we term as biblical ecclesiology. What is the church supposed to look like? If we look like everybody else, why call ourselves the church? Listen again to these words. You yourselves like living stones in verse 5 are built up as a spiritual house. In other words, a house that is separated, a church that is set apart so that when people look at us, we should be able to go wherever we go in town. People should be able to look at you at your work. The people at your work should know that you're a believer. Honestly, the first thing that you should be doing when you go and get a new job, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should let them know from day one, that would be my recommendation. Walk in and say, I know Jesus Christ. I'm a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen is that's going to shut down a lot of the language. It's going to shut down a lot of the vulgar jokes. Instead of you sitting there being, being, having the Holy Spirit quenched within you as you cringe at one more joke, one more bad word, one more whatever it is. You won't have to worry about being invited to the the vulgar, debauched parties that are going on that the world enjoys. My friends, if, if the world doesn't see us as any different, then we are not of Christ. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ not according to the world, not based on what the world finds to be acceptable, but what God's word has to say about being acceptable. This is why, secondly, he calls us not just a chosen race, but a royal priesthood. Listen to these two verses from Revelation. Revelation 1.6, And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5.10 And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Listen, all the kingdoms of the earth have disappeared or they will disappear except for the kingdom of God. It will last forever. And you and I as children of the Most High God, if you're a believer this morning, you are part of that. You are a royal priest. We have in in this box right here on the front, hold on. For those of you who were not here um, for our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, there's a book here you can take one for every family or if you, you and your spouse both want one, we've got 50 copies up here. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald S. Whitney. And this is a free book. It's free for you to take. You can read it, mark it, highlight it, whatever you want to do, and then pass it on to somebody else. But I'd recommend that you take one of these books, Praying the Bible. This is one of the things that we've been doing on our Wednesday night services. And as we started, and I prayed this morning, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why is he our shepherd? Why is there nothing that we have need of in our lives when he is our shepherd? We will have nothing to be afraid of. We will not fear anything in life. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. 
because he is with us. We find his rod and his staff comfort us. His rod and staff that bring us correction and discipline for whom the Lord loves in the book of Hebrews, the, the one whom the Lord loves, the same he disciplines or he chastens. My friends, I'm not concerned about what every other church in Cheyenne, much less Wyoming or anywhere else, what they do or don't do. Because God, they have to answer to God for their ministry. We have a responsibility to do what is right here. Even as Elijah, I, and I get him mixed up all the time, Elijah or Elisha, you, you would think that I would remember. But when he's in that cave and he's complaining before God, and the wind comes and there's an earthquake and all of these things and God finally gets his attention and he says, remember that there are still 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I want you and I to be in that 7,000. That we won't bow to Baal. We won't bow to the Baals of this world. But that we will be a royal priesthood, that we will look to the God and uh, to the, to our God, to the one who is our rock, our refuge, our strength, as Nahum says, a very present help in time of trouble. Do you believe this world is in trouble? Yeah. So if God is our present help in time of trouble, that means that He is there for you today, and tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday. And every other day that ends in a Y. Not only are we called to be a chosen race, we are called to be a royal priesthood. And thirdly, we are called to be a holy nation. A holy nation. Do you remember what happened with the children of Israel? God calls them. It wasn't because of something that they had done. It wasn't because they were the biggest or the brightest or the best or the smartest. In fact, they hadn't even gotten out of Egypt and they were doing dumb things. But they were called by God to be a holy nation. This is why the rite of circumcision was given. This is why God gave them the Ten Commandments was to show them how far separated they were from the holiness of God. And as they're walking through the wilderness and then as they go into the promised land, they didn't go into the promised land because they deserved it. They went into the promised land because God fulfilled his promise on his own word, on his own covenant. Nothing to do with them. But they were called to be different from the nations that were around them. But what happened? They began to question, and it's the oldest question that has ever been asked in the history of mankind. Did God really say that? And of course we know the results. The nation of Israel eventually split up the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. And those ten northern tribes were taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. And then about 100, uh, 120 years later, uh, the rest of the tribes were taken into Babylon. And there they sat and, as Psalm says, we hung our harps on the willows and cried they had forgotten they had forgotten what God had called them to do and if we wait until everything falls down around us to think that we can pick up the pieces or that we will change then it will be too late I shared this illustration with somebody a few weeks ago 
if I had a great big barrel of apples that were sitting up here and they looked good and I cut one open and I showed you and it was a nice juicy Washington apple and then I took just one shot of some poison ricin or whatever it may be and I were to take and I were to inject one of those apples and then take that barrel and shake it all up and say have an apple how many of you would be willing to take an apple nobody better raise your hand why wouldn't you want an apple is it because you don't trust me you shouldn't not if that is the standard and here's the problem. Every day that we are in the world, we are digging into a pile of apples that are filled with the poison of the world. And because they're filled with the poison of the world, we are ingesting that day by day by day. Facebook, social media, TV, movies, whatever it may be. Those are things that are full of poison that are designed to take your eyes off of the cross. Off of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a holy nation? Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We, look at this, we looked at this in Sunday school. It's not the renewal of our emotions. It's not the renewal of our feelings. We can't, as the world says, trust your heart. My friends, your heart and mind can't be trusted. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 is very clear about that. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? But we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It shouldn't matter to you what everybody else is doing. When I was growing up, it shouldn't have mattered to me what all of my friends were supposedly doing. What should have been important to me was the relationship that I had with my parents. And in like manner, we as Christians, our first responsibility is to be concerned about whether what we are getting ready to do, to say, to act, to listen to, to watch, to whatever it may be, is this going to break my relationship with the one who loved me enough to die for me and to forgive me of my sins? You see, this brings us to the fourth point here in 1 Peter 5, 9, or 2, 2, 9. We are a bride for Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. I have encouraged you before, and we do not know whether this will be the last message I'll ever preach. We don't know whether this is the last day that you'll ever live. We don't know any of those things. But what we do know is that when Christ died for his bride and he has made, or we have made ourselves ready, that means that there must be change. If we were to read 1 John... If you go home and read 1 John, that is a great question or a great way to be able to test your faith to see whether you truly are of the faith. 
Can you read 1 John and answer all the questions correctly? Do you love God more than you love the world? Do you love God do you love God enough that you love his people more than you love the people of the world? Do you love his word? Do you love sin more than you love God? Do you love sin more than you love his people? These are questions that you're going to ask because if you can't answer correctly, the Bible is clear that you are not a true believer. This is hard to accept because we have been taught for a long time, we have believed, many of you maybe even still believe that, you came down, you shook the preacher's hand, you said a little prayer, you signed a card, you did whatever, and you think that that's going to get you into heaven. But Matthew chapter 24 says that there will be many in that day who said, didn't I do all of these things? They're going to be pastors who are in hell. Bible teachers, deacons, ushers, piano players, organ players, trumpet players, whatever, and they're going to be in hell because they're going to, they will never have had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the saddest words in Scripture, I believe, are depart from me for I never knew you. If you do not know 100% sure this morning that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, those words should scare you. That should bring fear into your heart that you are separated from the holiness of God. Finally, not only are we a bride for Christ, but we find here in this verse a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called as a witness to the nations. Rightly did they say in two conventions ago that was held in Nashville, the world is watching us. My friends, Cheyenne is watching us. The people around Yellowstone Baptist Church, you who are regulars or members here and you're going into your workplaces tomorrow or going into the school system or wherever it may be, the world is watching you to see whether you and I have walked with Jesus Christ. Do we proclaim his excellencies? Or are we afraid to say something because of what the world may think of us? To conclude, this evening in our quarterly business meeting, we will be discussing the future and what it should look like according to the scriptures. We can't dwell on what we could have or should have done in the past. But we should be looking to see what God expects us in order to proclaim his excellencies in the world. To do this is going to require what may prove to be some hard changes, some hard decisions. But as we agreed to in our last servant leadership meeting, Jesus Christ must be the most important thing here at Yellowstone Baptist Church. No other criteria will matter or we will never see revival. Let's pray. Lord, this morning there is 
There's no anger or bitterness in my heart towards anyone, towards any institution, towards anything other than anger at the failure in my own heart and my own life, at sin that continues to crop up in areas where, as Brother Diego said in his testimony and what he shared, there are times that we have to look at your word again afresh and anew we have to realize that we must be changing. Your word tells us that those who are a new creation in Christ Jesus will, will change. The old things have passed away, all things are becoming new. That is my prayer for each person here this morning, that, that their life will be changed in such a way that everybody around them will say, wow, what got a hold of you? And we'll be able to look up with humility with tears in our eyes, and to be able to say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Lord, there are a lot of churches that are doing their own thing this morning. That has not been our desire or our goal. Our goal has been to point to Jesus. Our goal is to see us walk into a future that keeps you first and foremost, even when it requires us to make difficult decisions. And again, we pray for our meeting this evening. It's certainly probably not going to be an easy one. There will be some tough decisions. But our decisions must be based on the word of God. There may even be opposition, but you have a way of silencing opposition when, if the opposition is not walking according to your word. But yet through all of these things, we know that you can bring us together in unity and harmony and we can be able to walk out of here saying, what a great God we serve. So we commit these things to you because you are our Heavenly Father. Because your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did die for our sins and because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and guides us in the newness of life. May we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest of all the commandments. And then to turn around and love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace, grace, your mercy, the fact that you set your love upon us. What a mighty God we serve. As Brother Diego even prayed this morning in the prayer meeting, what a good, good father. What a great, great father. What an awesome, awesome Jesus Christ. So we turn this over to you now, Lord, and go from here with your blessings. May what has been shared, these solemn thoughts, these sobering thoughts, may we reflect on them with a heart of gratitude, a heart of love for one another, and to be able to say that today has been another good day, a day that we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 118, this is a day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice in it and be glad, not just in part of it, but in all of it. We ask this again because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our praise. He truly is worthy. And all God's people said, Amen.